I think now that at the end of like the two weeks for most of us here in Northern California, we're finding ourselves in the midst of this grief and exhaustion process, we need to just stop and say, this is normal. Um, we posted on our Spark Connect Facebook page this last week, and if you're not part of that group yet, you can ask to be invited. Um, an article from NPR that the coronavirus has upended our world and it's okay to grieve. And that that article is fantastic. It gives voice to what so many of us are ta- are feeling on a regular basis, that we've lost a sense of normal. Um, we're lamenting that we can't even lament in places um, that are seeing the worst of the virus presently, whether it's within our own country's borders or outside and all around. Um, obviously, China has been dealing with this for months, but now we also see the effects in Italy and Iran and in New York City and others. Um, we lament the fact that we can't even lament the way that we typically do Um, that all of our containers for how we process these things are sort of gone and and we don't know what to do with all of that and we need to pay attention to the fact that it's okay to grieve these things we're lamenting our loss of normal and Brene Brown had a fantastic podcast out this week that I highly commend to you guys Um, she gives some very practical and helpful tips Um, Very simple things like limiting the news, um, things that we can't control or influence in any way and we can sort of get swallowed whole. And she warns us that the loss of normal will come, Um, that that loss of normal could swallow us whole if we're not prepared for it. So trying to figure out and negotiate what that looks like and, and how we... Uh, work through those things and we at Spark we're going to be trying to find different ways to do this together as a community and and figure out this new normal even though we have no idea what it is or how it works Um, but I just wanted to commend to you that that if you're feeling weird it's because it's things are weird and we've lost the normal this is honestly a very weird sort of Lent, isn't it? Um, for those of us who grew up in liturgical churches where we had sort of the 40 days of preparation prior to the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, oftentimes we are in communities and places where we would then take that 40 days as a period of preparation and find something to give up. Um, well, in this case, we've not just given up going outside, giving up going to work, giving up all these things. We've also taken on a whole bunch of things that we've not taken on before, right? We've, we've taken on, um, all of the things that we used to do automatically. Like I'm just going to go to the store. Now you have to think about it. Who's going to go to the store? How can they stay safe while they're at the store? How much should they buy? And for how much, for how long a period and will the store be stocked? And at what time should I go? And, and all of these things that, Um, we didn't even consider before. Now we're having to take on things as well as give up a whole bunch. The real challenge though, of course, is that when we practice Lent every year, we know when it'll end. We know that the 40 day period will end with Good Friday and then with a celebration Easter Sunday. And while many of us um, are watching people from afar or maybe it's coming close to home, in those Good Friday moments, only experiencing death at the tomb, we don't know when the Easter Sunday moment is coming. It makes it very challenging and difficult in this time for all of us. And we just wanted to give voice to that, um, that it's normal to feel these ways. So we thought we'd give you a couple of suggestions as we kind of look through what we've found to be helpful. And we're gonna be giving a lot more space and time for all of this conversation 
but for one we want to say just get connected uh, Kevin's been pulling together a fantastic resource for us every week um, for the spark emails if you're not on that yet make sure to get that and it's not going to your junk folder you can get all of the latest updates also um, and this is probably a sign of the end times for all of us who uh, rejected Facebook and got off of it for all the damage it's done to our community we're all now back on and so spark is there and has had a place at that moment just to have connection so if you're not part of that small spark connected group then let me know and we'll try to get you into that group as well um, on that connection page uh, sparkers are sharing a lot of different things right we we found encouragement this week and just looking for the helpers debbie chang is organizing letter writing campaigns and has given us resources for that so that seniors who are in convalescent hospitals or in senior centers can still have some point of connection um, Regina's dad has a fantastic restaurant in Redwood City and so Sparkers were going and supporting that place this week and Bob and Shally you guys had such a beautiful way of sort of processing this grief and loss with your kids and shared that on Facebook and ultimately you guys we want to just let you know that we're available pastoral calls via zoom are now our new take the pastors out to coffee so please we want to connect with you we want to um, hear how you're doing and we want to be praying for you in very specific ways so reach out connect drop us an email whether you're a sparker who just showed up a few weeks ago or who's just joining us for the first time via live stream or you're the sparkers that have been distancing for the last year or two or the ones that are local we get to see you every week we miss all of you and we're here and available for all of you in this season so with all of that, we just wanted to let you know too that we're providing and starting to curate some additional content for you guys. And coming soon, there will be some YouTube live conversations with different pastors and leaders at Spark. And you'll be getting more information on that as we try to process what we're hearing from a prayer perspective and spiritual practices and disciplines and um, specifically the hope that we have in Christ and how we can process and experience that. What can give us some anchors in this time period or hearing from um, our own sparker, Dr. Chen, and his some of his insights, or Pastor Tom and Omer and others and Kevin. So we hope you can join us for this conversation. Stay tuned to the Spark emails for more of that information going forward. Okay, I wanted to just stop and give voice to um, our season. And um, as typical for Spark, we don't ignore where we're at and we try to acknowledge it and, um, and try to figure out you know how to respond in these moments. So we'll all be doing that together. Now we're going to launch into our series because we are going to try to grab a little bit of normal here at Spark. And so we are at the very beginning of our Ephesians series. Uh, Pastor Kevin gave us an introduction a couple weeks ago, um, but now we're going to really sort of launch into the book of Ephesians today. Uh, will you join me as we pray together and we'll sort of settle our hearts and our minds and prepare to worship God through study. Heavenly Father God, we are here and we are listening. Open our hearts and our eyes and our ears that we might be able to sense you, binding us closer together as you bind us closer to you, that we might be able to sense your presence and your love and your peace and your hope in this moment. Settle our souls, Jesus, that we might hear from you um, and hear some hope that you have for us in this beautiful letter to the Ephesians. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, today our topic is Chosen Children. That is the title of our sermon today. And we wanted to just give you an introduction to the basic structure of Ephesians. 
Um, at the very beginning, of course, we're going to have an address of the letter in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and then we'll see the blessings going forward, and then thanksgiving, and affirmations, and appeals. After that portion of structure of just how sort of the letter is working together, then we're going to ask the question, who is this letter written to? And really, I guess the secondary question is, this a, is this a letter or is it a treaty? And there's debate amongst lots of different scholars and biblical scholars this time. Is this something Paul wrote specifically to the Ephesians? Also, they're asking, did Paul write it? Or was this a letter that simply circulated uh, to the various churches in that area? And we'll kind of say, yes, sounds good. Whether written directly to the Ephesians, it was also clearly circulated to others. And so we have this, um, this letter in front of us. And right in the very beginning in chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So for authorship, for our purposes, we are going to look very specifically um, and assume that Paul is the author of this letter, um, that Paul has written this while imprisoned between the writing probably of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, probably around the same time as the letter of Colossians, around 60 CE um, in the first century. So that's going to be our assumption as we're going forward. And if you want to get into all the larger debates as to whether it's really Pauline in terms of authorship and how it functioned, that's our fun little rabbit holes to go down. But for our study and for the rest of the series, we're going to be assuming Pauline authorship. So where was this written to then? Where is Ephesus? Well, for those of you who've maybe not yet gone that way yet, Ephesus is located in modern day Turkey, um, in Asia Minor of that time, right on the shores really of the, um, not quite on the shores, but just inland a little bit um, of the Keister River, right there in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and let's get a little context for what's happening. So automatically we know we're in a Greco-Roman world. We're not in Israel anymore. Um, as for many of us, as we've been studying the text together for some time, the text and the letters are, are or the text is often written to people living in Israel. Um, but in this case, Paul is writing to people in a Greco-Roman world. And for those of you who might just need a little bit of reminding for our, Gre our Greek context, we have Alexander the Great. Um, who came through in the 4th century BCE, so 300s, and conquered basically the known world. And as Alexander the Great, the original G, um, came through, he brought with him Hellenism, Hellas for, Greeks, for Greece, and he brought him with him a way of life, Greek language, Greek education and philosophy, politics and systems, Greek gods, art, drama, poetry, sculpture, and Greek, Greek gymnasiums, places for exercise, and also they were pretty much um, called places of nakedness. So that big sweep of culture has pushed through the known world, including, by the way, in Israel too, also contending with Hellenism. But then after Alexander the Great dies and then um, his kingdom is argued about through his generals, eventually Rome comes to rise to that surface. Um, as, as they've gone through then and Hellenism has gone through, they are trying to give everyone a way of thought. Um, that is, everybody is sort of on board together. But the Roman Empire follows through then in here and comes with not just this Greek culture, but now with Roman Empire, imperial religion, and the divinity of the Caesars is this very unique ad. This power of the Roman Empire is what is really in place here in Ephesus. So let's take a look at what Ephesus looked like 2,000 years ago. 
Here are some drawings um, given to us from different archaeological illustrators. Um, and so really Ephesus was known as the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. It was phenomenal, one of just a wonder to behold. It had a major commercial harbor that was present and it had just massive trade that was going on. The harbor and Ephesus was amazing. This the harbor led up to the middle point of the city and people coming through could start to welcome in these ships, all of the trade, all of the powers of the empire would be on full display up until the point where we would be able to even see um, incredible theaters, um, gymnasia, a library later on would be built and all of this amazing culture. This theater, by the way, is the one that's referred to in the book of Acts in chapter 19. There's a riot in Ephesus, if you'll recall. Um, and if you haven't read that chapter, maybe go and read it in anticipation of our series here, um, where Paul has been basically saying that Artemis is not a god and Artemis is the big god of Ephesus. We talked about this some time ago at Spark. And there was a big riot in this 25,000 seat theater. Um, here in Ephesus, they had temples to the Caesars, they had a temple to Hadrian, they had a temple to Artemis, which was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And man, isn't she just lovely. Artemis, this Greek Roman god, um, coming in as kind of a, comp a combination of Diana and Artemis, where people would come and worship her through some really... Um, very unique and uh, graphic means. And you can listen to our discussion on Ephesus from the book of Acts for more details on that. So Ephesus is a very Roman, Greco-Roman city that is amazing. It's got aqueducts, paved streets, large agoras, royal basilicas, temples of Roma, Julius Caesar, Domitian, all of these temples. In fact, the entire city of Ephesus was a shining example of a Greco-Roman city that strategically incorporated into the public space the emperor, emperor worship, religious, civic, cultural, educational, and economic activities with religious life as the paramount um, behavior and trade and sort of central portion of that life. Ephesus is providing all of that in that world. Now, as we look at a map at how the city is sort of laid out then, you see the harbor and the main entrance and number one here. And then you would kind of go down this main street. And at the back, of course, there's another city gate as people would be entering from the eastern portion. And at that second entrance, at the other city gate, then you would also find the city dump, right? Cities like this would create a lot of trash. And so there was a trash heap or a dung gate um, where all of that stuff would be held outside of that city gate. And here, according to the Greco-Roman ethics and models, not only would trash be discarded, but um, infants and people on the margins would be discarded as well. We found in Cicero in 106 to 43 BCE that he noted that deformed infants shall be killed. And primarily they were killed by infant exposure out on the city dump. And the deformity could be anything. It could be an unwanted child, um, they would be left there without shelter. It could be a sickly child, a deformed child, or simply a non-preferred gender child. You wanted a boy and you got a girl, or you wanted a girl, not likely in the ancient world, but and then you got a boy. And so these children then were left out in that city dump. This was part of Greco-Roman values. So this, this Roman Empire coming through did not have the same values that, that Paul would have had. 
Aristotle noted too this same practice. As to exposing or rearing the children born, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be reared, but on the ground of number of children, if the regular customs hinder any of those born being exposed, there must be a limit fixed to the procreation of offspring, and if any people have a child as a result of intercourse and contravention of these regulations, abortion must be practiced on it, on the child. Um, in this time then in Ephesus, we find that with all of the beauty of this city, with the agora, the shopping places, the harbor, the 25,000 seat theater, this incredible trade, that there is laid at the feet of empire worship, um, a loss of humanity, a loss of, of the value of human life as it's set aside. As, as people would discuss and try to figure out how do you determine an infant worth raising because people would go throughout that city dump and look at the children being left there for exposure and say, well, maybe this child will be the one that I'll pick up to be a servant in my home. Um, they're not so deformed that they can't be treated that way. And so this practice of, of treating children this way actually comes right into the beginning. And we think Paul might be referencing this in the beginning of his book of Ephesians. And again, this practice would not just be in Ephesus, but throughout the Greco-Roman world. So now, knowing this context for this city, could you listen to, with me to the beginning of Paul's letter? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in those heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. See, right at the very beginning here, then Paul grabs hold of this beautiful language of being chosen and adopted as sons and daughters of God. He grabs hold of his own Hebraic, Israelite, Jewish context and starts grabbing like uh, portions that are similar to in the book of Psalms, Psalm 68, that God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. These words that Paul starts to use at the very beginning Words like chose, predestined, sonship, redemption, inheritance, and possession. Paul quotes the language of the Hebrew scriptures, most often referred to the people of Israel, and applies them now to the Gentile believers as well as the Jewish believers in Ephesus. These phrasings chose, predestined, echoing Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 7, sonship, Deuteronomy 14, redemption, Isaiah, inheritance and possession. These would have rung so tightly, beautifully held tight in the hearts of those people listening to this letter of Paul. That for the Jew and for the Gentile, they're discovering for the slave, for the free, for the Roman, for the Greek, for all, they are discovering that God has not just allowed them in, but God has chosen them. Even if it was off even the dung heaps and the trash heaps of the city, that God has chosen us and not brought us in as a slave to work in a household, but brought us in as his very own sons and daughters, framed our photos, put our photos up on the fridge, carried our photos around in his wallet, called us his own. 
that these are the words Paul starts telling the Ephesians. Here is the hope that you have in Christ. Now, Tertullian also notes that the Christians took this to heart. He records that Christians sought out these newborn babies from the refuse and dung heaps to either raise them as their own or tend to them before they died, giving them a decent burial. The Christians heard these letters and understood that their sonship and daughtership in Christ, being fully adopted as Christ's, as God's own children through Christ, no matter what their background was, that that meant then everybody was going to be treated that way, that everyone would be treated in the likeness, as though they were created in the likeness of God, because they were. So in the middle of this Roman Empire, these powers, this lacking concern for life, lack of concern for those marginalized, for those most vulnerable in the community, whether old or young, the lack of concern for any of that, um, all laid at the feet of the empire, as Paul is in prison himself, because of his preaching of the gospel. Paul writes to people living in a world of Roman and imperial powers and values. And from prison, he tells the Ephesians, this is not the world as we know it. This Roman empire that you see, all of this that you see, this is not the world as we know it. We in Christ know a different world. We belong to a different kingdom. In Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. In Christ, we are loved, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, chosen. In Christ, we have new life, a new family, a new home, a new inheritance that is fully ours. Not a slightly modified inheritance because we were adopted or brought in later because of our ancestry distinction or our ethnicity or our gender or our status in the Roman Empire. We are brought in fully as sons and daughters of the king and get to participate fully in the inheritance of God. And this truth that in Christ Jesus, Jews, Gentiles, male, female, all as Paul will echo in other letters, are brought into the kingdom of God. This truth will be brought through the rest of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start to see this theme carried through. As then now we understand ourselves as full participants in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now how do we live? It's important to note that this kingdom, this this empire, this Roman empire that Rome was building now lays in ruins. That temple of Artemis that was one of the seven wonders of the world This is all that remains of it today. But the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom built through his people still remains. And may we this week rest in the knowledge and hope that in Christ we are chosen and loved. And may we live and share that hope with the world. It is good news in days like this where the way of this world seems so prevalent and overwhelming, or it doesn't seem that the way of Christ is winning, it is good news to know that we get to build a kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, where each one we meet, each person is adopted as sons and daughters of the king, chosen, predestined, brought fully into the family of God with every blessing and every inheritance. And wherever we are at in this world, wherever we are in these moments, 
whether we're doing fine or whether we're panicking, whether we're feeling anxious or anything, we want you to bring all of that to the table as we celebrate communion together. All of that is welcome here. Jesus can hold all of it. Because we are sons and daughters of the King, we know that we will feast at his table now and in the world to come. And we anticipate the goodness of that. And all of those cares and concerns that we have where we don't know what to do with it, bring it forward. He loves us and has chosen us. And he is a good father. And he can hold all of that space as we remember, as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through the taking of these elements. which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broken, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Now, as you are listening to Junior, lead us in worship and our communion song, and you are ready, take the elements uh, with your family or on your own in your room, remembering that we're all together doing this. Spark, thanks again for joining us for service today. Um, thank you, everybody, for your participation and for your heart and your soul. And I'm going to ask if you are able to stand um, for a benediction as we close out our time together. I hope that you receive um, this benediction in response to our time together. To all the view sparkers, wherever you are, in a world that so easily and can so quickly discard us because we do not measure up to the cultural expectations, may you know from the bottom of your heart and may you be identified fully and completely as one who has been chosen by God, predestined, beloved before the foundation of the world, adopted as his precious sons and daughters. And especially in this time, may you know that, experience that, and feel that deeply in your heart and in your soul. In his name, amen.